After that tender song, can we just start by praying together? Lord, we're just so grateful that you came to show us that kind of love. There are many in this room that really understand with their lives how very true that song is. And I pray that right now, during this hour, that you would reveal to each one of us the deep truth that you alone, Lord, give that kind of love, the love that just values us because you love us, because you are love, and not for anything that we can accomplish. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, family. So glad you're here. Would you get out your outline and your Bible if you brought it along? If you brought your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. We're going to start reading in verse 36. And if you didn't bring your Bible, all the verses we're going to use are written on the front of your outline. It looks like this. We're going to take a look at an encounter Jesus had with some people. He got two different kind of responses that day. One was a, a response of ingratitude and indifference, and the other one was grateful worship. Let's start reading together at verse 36 out of Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him, at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, to really get the background of the story, we just have to think about etiquette. How are you at social etiquette? We're just going to do a little assessment of that this morning. I brought along some questions to share with you, and I just want to talk about etiquette in our day, and then we'll roll back to the first century, okay? Here's the first question. When should one start eating the main course at a formal dinner? A, after the hostess is served, 
B, after the hostess lifts her fork. C, after three or four people are served. Or D, ASAP with urgency and passion. <laughs> right now, go ahead and tell your neighbor, which, which one do you think is the right answer? Okay, the answer is C. Yeah, the main course can get cold in a hurry. So Emily Post, the etiquette lady, says that it's appropriate to start eating after three or four people are served. I would not lie to you. This is Emily Post. <laughs> now, number two, let's talk about this. What does one do at a formal dinner if one is still hungry after the main course? It's a problem. A, ask for a second helping. B, say loudly, is that all there is? kind of a subtle approach, you know? C, yell, look out the window and take from your neighbor's plate while he's distracted. <laughs> or D, call Domino's. <laughs> kind of practical. Well, we're not going to honor that one with an answer. Let's go on. There's the third question today. This is probably the most important question. What's the correct response if your cell phone goes off in church? Okay, A, Quickly slide it forward and point disgustedly at the person in front of you. Some of you have tried that. Or B, shout, hallelujah, until it stops ringing. That kind of depends upon your background, doesn't it? C, call Domino's. <laughs> or D, give a large gift to the speaker afterwards. <laughs> the correct answer is C. Well, you guys, etiquette is important, isn't it? And right now, we're going to think a little bit about the social etiquette during this time when Simon the Pharisee had invited folks to this banquet. You remember that Pharisees were these religious guys that were really into keeping rules, doing everything right, keeping the law down to the letter. And Simon would have been a leading, well-respected Pharisee. See, he would have invited other Pharisees to come and join him for this banquet where he invited a visiting rabbi over. It was considered an act of merit. And a Pharisee's whole life was about merit, keeping the law. Now, what's really different from our culture about that day is that banquets like these were public affairs where anybody could come and slip in and stand around the perimeter and just watch and listen all day. They, they couldn't sit at the table. And by the way, the table, you need to know, was low to the floor with cushions around it, and people would sit and lean on an elbow and have their feet out behind them. Now, when a guest arrived, the customary greeting would be a kiss, either on both sides of the face, or if the guest was really high status, it would be a kiss on the hand. So a disciple would kiss a rabbi's hand. The washing of feet was really important. If a guest was high status, then you would wash his feet yourself. Or you might have your servant do it, or at the very least, you would provide water for him to wash his own feet. Now, you might also give your guest some inexpensive olive oil to anoint his head. It's, it was kind of like soap of the first century, just to refresh him. Well, here in America, we have kind of a script for receiving a guest too, don't we? What do you do when your guest arrives? You say, well, hello, Jane, it's good to see you. Shake her hand. Why don't you come in? Let, can I take your bag, your coat? Hey, can I bring you a soda? And then what do you do? You turn off the TV, right? But what if instead of that, you stuck your head out the door and you said, oh, 
It's you <laughs> and nothing else. And just like that, that's what was happening there that day. Jesus, this visiting rabbi, shows up and nothing happens. No kiss of greeting, no washing of the feet. You have to realize this was not subtle things that Simon just overlooked. This was intentional and deliberate. Jesus was insulted. He was ignored. And the tension in that courtyard was so thick, you could smell it. And Luke says that watching from the perimeter of this explosive setting was a woman. And you know, her response to what happened there is so gutsy that we can just learn from her today. You could say a lot of things about that woman. Heaven knows a lot had been said about her in the way of gossip. But today, I want you to notice something about her based upon her actions. This woman is grateful. That's what I want you to notice about her. You know, gratitude is important. Gratitude is like a gauge on the dashboard of my life. It kind of determines my actions, my responses, my attitudes, and my willingness to express it. I, for example, when I think about my husband, I stop and I ponder how blessed I am to have this man in my life as my husband. This man who loves me in spite of my idiosyncrasies, and they are many. This man who, who expresses his love to me by wanting to spend time with me, by listening to me, to me by, by praying for me and our kids, by cooking. That's a big one. When I stop to ponder all that, you know what happens? My gratitude gauge, it just tops out. And you know what I have to do? I have to express it. It's, it's gratitude. Gratitude overcomes my inhibitions. Gratitude overcomes discomfort. Even the discomfort my husband is feeling right now. And that's what I see in this woman. See, this woman overcame incredibly high social barriers in order to express her gratitude for Jesus. And I think we can learn from this nameless woman some things that will help us to express our gratitude for him. And in order to remember what she shares with us, I want to use an acrostic today, the word bow, B-O-W. So take your pen, and I want you to write down the first thing, B, is be aware. First, if I'm going to be grateful, I have to be aware of what my life was like without Christ. That's what this woman was. Luke tells us in verse 37 that she was a sinner. And the word that he uses says that she was a prostitute. Everybody in the village knew her that way. She began to wonder, perhaps, how in the world did my life ever come to this? Because, you know, nobody starts out in life expecting and hoping to get to where her life got to. I mean, once she had been somebody's little baby. Once she had been the object of someone's hopes and dreams. Maybe she had been rejected by her husband. And this was the only way she could find to make it financially. Or maybe her heart had just gotten hard, and this was just the easiest way to get money. She was aware, though, that her life was desperate. But she was aware of something else, too. 
Just like her, I need to be aware of what I've been given. Write that down. I need to be aware of what I've been given. You know, I have a letter here from my friend Ed Anderson. Some of you know him. Ed and his wife Heidi and their children are a vital part of our church family. And right now, Ed is serving time in a a jail sentence. And he and Heidi have expressed how very loved and supported they have felt by you, their church family. And right now, Ed is in a a segment of his sentence where he's getting to do a work furlough program. And so I stopped by his work to visit him one day, and this is the letter he sent me. Dear Kim, thank you so much for stopping by at my work. I feel so close to you and everybody at the church that when we see each other in person, it is a bit overwhelming. It's hard to imagine our family's life without the church. I know Heidi and I don't want to. We both are looking forward to the time when we can give back. He says, I still can't believe that they allow me to do this work furlough program, but I am so very thankful. You know, when you talk to Ed, you can just see it overflowing from him, the gratitude that he has because Ed knows what he's been given, the gift of God's grace and God's people to surround them in this dark time. Be aware of what you've been given. That's what this woman was. However it happened, she had heard Jesus teach And it came to her that even her, right there in her life, right in her sin, it occurred to her that Jesus was inviting her. She said to herself, it's not too late even for me. And then she hears that this Jesus, who had opened up to her a whole brand new life, that he was at dinner. Now she knew she would never be invited to this dinner. Imagine how much courage it took for her to walk into that courtyard when she sees Jesus She is just undone by love. And then she sees how he is ignored and insulted by Simon. And she can't stand it. All of her love and devotion and anger just well up to the surface. I mean, she can't be the one to give him the kiss of greeting. How would that be interpreted? Then maybe on an impulse, it comes to her. She could kiss his feet. I mean, to wash someone's feet was considered an act of humility. To kiss them would be just as basic. Can you see it? Jesus is reclining at this low table, and his feet are out behind him, and she comes and stands at his feet. With everybody watching and likely whispering to each other, she kneels down to kiss his feet, and she looks up at Jesus, and he looks at her, not with ridicule and judgment, but with love. He just boldly loves her, in front of everybody. I love how John Ortberg shares this part of the story. He says, she has not seen that look in a man's eyes for a long time, maybe never. And here she sees it in the eyes of the best man she's ever known. He loves her not as an object, but as a daughter and a friend. He loves her not in the shadows, but in the light. He loves her not in hiding, but out in the open. She is so undone by this that the tears just come. Tears of sadness for her past and tears of gratitude for her future. And Jesus' feet, unwashed by Simon, are wet from her tears. And then she wonders, how can she dry his feet? No use asking Simon for a towel. He would never give her anything. Another impulse, she she lets down her hair. Now this is another serious breach of etiquette. 
You know, in that day, a woman always wore her hair up. In fact, it was considered too sexually provocative for her to let her hair hang down. It was such a big deal in that day that if a married woman let her hair down in front of any man other than her husband, it was considered grounds for divorce. Everybody there knew that she had let her hair down many times before. But after a whole lifetime of getting it wrong, she was finally getting it right. And she uses her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. And then Luke says that she had a jar of alabaster, an alabaster jar of ointment. And this probably refers to a flask that was worn around the neck with kind of a perfume in it. And you know, with her vocation, this was a tool of the trade. She had used it a drop at a time, many, many times. And now she just pours it out, empties it, because she's not going to need it anymore. Now imagine what Simon is thinking. This banquet is not going the way I planned. (laughs) I guess Jesus must not be it after all, because if he was even a prophet, he wouldn't let her get near him. He wouldn't let her touch him with a 10-foot pole. You know, Simon, he's looking at everybody, this woman especially, through scrutinizing, self-righteous eyes, eyes of superiority and judgment. He is scrutinizing her stuff, comparing her stuff to his stuff. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Comparing yourself to others? I know I have. Thinking how their stuff measures up. Simon had judged this woman as a sinner, and he had judged Jesus as an incompetent prophet, and Simon had gotten it wrong. So in verse 40, when Jesus speaks up and says, Simon, I have something to say to you, what Jesus is really saying is, Simon, I'm going to give you another shot. And what I hear Jesus saying through the little story he shares gives us the O of bow. So write this down. Own my stuff. Own my stuff. Can you circle the word my? Jesus tells a really brief parable. He says, two debtors owe a money lender. Now that word, money lender, it refers to somebody who loans money and charges interest. In those days, you see, it was considered foolish to get into debt. And a money lender, someone who charged interest, was considered a shady character. It would be like someone in our day saying, I want to tell you a story about two bookies in over their heads to a lone shark named Vito. (laughs) Both of the debtors owed money, and neither of them could pay it back. That's what they have in common. But listen, here's the difference. Write this down. One debt looked manageable, even respectable. It carried the illusion of manageability. But the other debt, that guy knew he was desperate. There was no way he could pay it back. But it says in verse 42, neither of them could pay up. Both could be expected to lose all they had and end up in prison. Think about it like this. What if two people were murdered? You know, this guy over here, uh, somebody took a stiletto and stuck it between his ribs and it pierced his heart and he died, okay? But this guy over here, He was shot with a machine gun, hundreds of holes through his whole body. Now, which one, let me ask you, is more dead? Well, you might say, well, no, they're both dead. Oh, this one might be pretty dead, and this one is ugly dead. 
But that's the way it is with these debtors. One might look prettier than the other, but they're in the exact same boat. And it says when it looked really dark for both of these characters, Jesus says that Vito the loan shark invites both of the debtors in and says, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And he forgives both debts. Now Jesus says in verse 42, which one is more grateful? Which one has his world turned upside down with relief and gratitude and uninhibited love for the one who has graciously set him free? The big debt guy or the little debt guy? And I think it's kind of funny. It's a very simple question. Simon can see where this is headed, and I, I can see him with a roll of his eyes say, you know, I suppose the big debt guy. And Jesus says, I think with some humor, that's right. Give the boy a cigar, he got the right answer. <laughs> now, what happens next is one of the great conversations in all of Scripture, and I just wish I could relate to you the drama of this moment. Because, see, up till now, Jesus has been talking to Simon. But it says in verse 44, Jesus turns toward the woman. Picture this. His back is to Simon. He's facing this woman, but he keeps talking to Simon. And picture this woman. Her eyes lock on Jesus, and her advocate, her friend, her defender looks at her, and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Because up to now, Simon hasn't seen this woman. I mean, he may have seen an object of contempt, the stuff of whose life is just scandalous, but he hasn't seen what Jesus sees. Nobody did. So he looks at this woman, and he says, Simon, when I came in your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my feet. Jesus was so gracious here. He didn't say, Simon, you didn't wash my feet yourself. He just said, Simon, this woman not only made sure my feet were washed, but she used her tears and her hair to do it. Jesus says, Simon, you didn't greet me with a kiss. Once again, Jesus is so gracious. He didn't even imply, you didn't kiss me on my hand, which a, a disciple would do for a rabbi. He says, you didn't kiss me, but she has not stopped kissing me since I came in the door. Jesus says, Simon, when I came in, you neglected the courtesy of common, ordinary olive oil for my head. But she has not just anointed my head, she's anointed my feet. And not with just olive oil, but with rare perfume, the best she had her whole life poured out. And then Jesus says something, to just cut to the chase. Imagine being this woman with everybody's eyes locked on her. Jesus says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, are forgiven. And her heart just explodes with gratitude. And Jesus says, that's why she loves so lavishly. She has shown, shown me much love. That's why my feet are wet from her tears. That's why she can't stop kissing me, Simon. Jesus is saying to Simon, Anybody who bows in gratitude, in humility, who gives up their gawking at everybody else's stuff and owns their own stuff, you see, that person gets their heart healed and set free and just filled up with grateful love. But looking at this woman, he says, Simon, the one who is forgiven little, loves little, just a little. 
only a little, Simon. Listen, what Jesus is not saying to Simon is this. Simon, you know, you're a righteous guy. You've hardly sinned at all. You don't need much grace. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. See, Jesus is dealing with this great obstacle, and that is that Simon perceives himself to be pretty good, not to have much sin, you know? In fact, Simon thinks when he comes to God that God's getting a pretty good deal. You know, right here on this stage, a few years ago, we were having a music rehearsal one night, and I had a young friend here with me who was the son of one of our band members. His name was Andrew. And Andrew came that night knowing he'd have to kill some time, so he brought along a mechanism like this. This is a Nerf gun. Ah, oh, this is a cool toy. It appeals to the child in me. You know, watch this. This is great fun. Here I was running around helping Andrew collect his dart. Oh, yes, it goes far and high. And you know what? When I started studying this story about Simon, it reminded me of my evening there with Andrew. What happened with Andrew's toy, that is. You see, and Andrew's dart gun is, reminds me, with its impressive altitude, its amazing trajectory of uh, Simon. It's stuck. That's a good one. <laughs> of Simon and his attempts to please God. You know, to shoot high and impressive, impress everybody around him. You know, it's kind of like my efforts to earn God's grace with all the good stuff I do. Maybe for us, it's, it, you know, it's like a checklist. Here's all the do's and don'ts. Check them off, and maybe in the end, you're going to have achieved or earned God's favor. Like, I give to charity, you know? I help the homeless. I don't cheat on my taxes. Last week, I was talking to somebody, and they said, I, I don't do anything wrong, you know? I try to help people. What they're saying actually is, my darts are going higher and farther than other people's darts. That's what they're saying. Last, last week, when I was talking to that guy, he said, I was an altar boy. Well, that's what Simon was like, you know? Inviting the rabbis over for his banquet. Impressive, all of his religious exercises. Simon's hard work to look good. And you and I are prone to that same kind of mindset. That's what a lot of people in the world think, that God's looking for good behavior. Well, the moment that connected this dart picture for me was when Andrew was over here shooting his dart, and you know what? It went so high, it went up on that rafter right there, and it, it was stuck. It was gone forever. What that reminded me of when I got to thinking about it, that's what the Bible says about Simon's good works, or, or yours and mine. As far as earning merit points with God, they are nothing but useless dust collectors. It says in the book of Romans this, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our darts fall short. You know, I don't speak Greek or read it, but I'm told that if you study that verse in the Greek, that the word all means all. <laughs> There's not a single person in this room that doesn't qualify as a debtor. You know, I have a painful memory 
of a dear friend of mine who's like a sister in my growing up years. She went through a, a season when she was out there on the edge, sowing wild oats, just living way outside of her own values. And then she realized that it was a dead end, and she decided to come back and recommit her life to pursuing God. And she started going to a church in her area. And what she shared with me broke my heart. She said that the people in that church turned a cold shoulder to her, and they gave her a stink eye because they knew what she'd been up to. See, it happens inside and outside churches where people are approaching their standing with God as dart-shooting, merit-earning endeavors. It destroys so much of what God is out to do. See, it drives sinners away when Jesus is trying to draw them close. It short-circuits gratitude that should be overflowing from every one of us because we are a community of forgiven sinners. The question that this parable raises is this. Who is the really big debtor in this room? It's me. It's you. No matter how long you've been going to church or how respectable your actions appear, your debt is plenty large for you to be overflowing with gratitude for his unbelievable grace towards you. And the sin that Jesus is pointing out for Simon is this. This is John Ortberg's words again. The sin of lips that won't kiss, knees that won't kneel, eyes that will not weep, and perfume that will never leave the jar. It's the sin of a person who won't own their own stuff and who's too proud to be grateful for grace. Simon has a choice, just like all of us do right now, this very morning. He could soften his heart. If only Simon would bow in, in a humble heap beside this sinful woman and own his own stuff. Will you own yours this morning? If it, Perhaps you've been hiding behind a shield of image management like Simon. Will you own that? What drove the dark picture home for me is when I got to looking at what hangs so close to that dusty dart, and it's the cross. The cross hangs there for me as a reminder of the gift that Jesus extends to you and me. The cross is available for every one of us who are ready to give up on our attempts to earn God's favor. It hangs there for me as a reminder of the dichotomy between my attempts to look good and Jesus' outright gift to me. That's the message God's been out to tell people for the last 2,000 years. And that brings us to the W of bow. Would you write down worship? If we're going to be grateful, we have to be aware of what I've been given. I have to own my stuff, and I need to worship. We're in many different places today. Which one of these two characters do you relate to? Is it Simon, whose pride and, and efforts kept him locked up in judgment and indifference? Or is it like this woman who bows in grateful worship? Today, when you walk out the door, you're going to have chosen to respond in one way or the other. You can choose to worship. Maybe your worship today would be to repent like this woman did of, of your past. No matter how black it is, you know what? 
Jesus was not excusing her past. I mean, she had ruined her life. She had messed up marriages. She had broken homes. It was a bad deal. And Jesus was not excusing that. He was offering her forgiveness and a brand new life. And Jesus wants to look into your eyes today like he looked into her eyes. And he wants to love you boldly in front of everybody. Maybe your worship today would be to pour out the flask like she did. Just your whole life at Jesus' feet. Maybe it would be to sink your whole life into who Jesus is and be gripped and fascinated by his love for you. Or maybe you're more like Simon and you can relate because you've been banking on your achievements, you know, putting your trust in your darts. Maybe your worship today, your bowing and gratitude would be to admit that to God, to turn your back on your pride and begin to pursue Jesus and, and his cross and find out what that really means for you. Maybe it would be to take the story and read it every day this week and just meditate on his love for you. You know, those who bow in grateful worship really embrace the truth of this verse. Look at 1 Corinthians. Christ made us right with God. Christ. Christ made us right with God. Not our behavior, not our impressive darts of, of good behavior. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Just like we sang earlier, therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. I love that song. You know, I think that we all boast. I want to suggest to you that we all boast about something. Some people boast about their bank account. Some people boast about their car. Some people boast about how many people they've slept with. But the Bible says to make your boast, the thing you hold up for everybody to see, be not your darts of impressive achievements, but be rather your gratitude for incredible grace that's been shown to you. That's what we're going to take time to do right now. We're going to sing together. We want to give you a chance to worship. And I just want to invite you to think about how you best express your worship to Christ. Whatever it is, you might want to stand. You might want to kneel or bow where you are. You might want to just stay seated wherever you are. I want to ask you to make this a moment where you're just looking into the eyes of Jesus. Just you and him. Let's sing this together. Now let's pray together. Lord, we come before you with grateful hearts to just want to honor you for such amazing love that you would relieve us of the burden of, of just trying to earn your love. Thank you. Thank you for the cross that you went to for every single one of us to offer us that free gift of forgiveness. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received that gift. Maybe you can't yet say, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. And right now is your moment. Don't let it pass you by. Right now, in quietness of your own mind, would you breathe this prayer to him? Lord, I thank you for the cross. I don't understand it all. But I'm so grateful that you offer me this gift. What a relief it would be, Lord, not to have to continue to strive and strain and wonder if I'm being good enough to earn your acceptance. Thank you for making it enough 
what you paid for my, for, on my behalf. Thank you that you are no longer dead, but that you rose and that you are giving me the gift of new life this very moment. I thank you. And no matter how long you've known the Lord, we just breathe a quiet prayer of gratitude to him right now. Thank you, Lord, that you have relieved me of the need to judge others. I don't have to look at them and wonder how I'm comparing because I'm on my own journey with you. And you're taking me closer and closer to the image of Jesus Christ, one situation at a time. And I thank you that I get to just be the conduit of your love as you continue to work in those other people's lives and I get to turn them over to you. And I thank you now, Lord, for meeting with us, each of us personally, one-on-one in this hour. In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. Amen.